Welcome and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues his series on the book of Romans. In this sermon, Pastor Josh also continues the discussion of God giving them over to a depraved world. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, God Gave Them Over, Part 2. Romans chapter 1. All right, because this is the uh, last time working through this section and there is an argument that's been being built. The argument has parts. We've been working through parts. Let's back up all the way to verse 18. Let's read this argument all the way through the end. Now specifically know that we're studying verses 26 to 32. So that's, that's the main part we'll be looking at. But let's, let's begin the argument there in verse 18. So after being told that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Here's verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they're without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, if you'll bow with me. Oh, our God, we come to you once again. We've done this hundreds of times. But Father, every single time we come to your word, miracles are happening. Um, you are at work and there is the potential that this will be a moment that absolutely changes our eternity, changes how we live. 
that we be brought to a new place in our walk with you or for those that are in the room and they've not yet turned to you, that this would be the day that they cross from death to life, from darkness to light. So God, we don't take this lightly. And so I I ask God that you will send your spirit. Please give us a great solemnity right now. Please give us a, a, a sense of the weight of the seriousness, oh God of what is happening here as we look at your word breathed out of your mouth. And God, I pray that we'll bow. Pray that we'll heed. I pray that we'll plan already right now to obey even when we we leave this place. So please, God, be at work in this time. Lord, we've read your word and miracles could have already happened just with the reading of your word, but we're gonna try to go deeper. We're gonna try to study and we need your grace. And so God, I, I pray the hundreds of things that need to happen so that I can preach in a way that's helpful and not hurtful. Um, Father, please give that grace. Um, Lord, and all of the things that need to happen for all of us to receive it in a way that is godly and not resisting, not stubborn, not ignoring, please God, Work so that maximum benefit happens in this time, God, I I pray. Please give grace to us, Lord. We pray these things uh, through Christ. Amen. Uh, Freud and Marx and Richard Dawkins and many of history's famous atheists, they would write from time to time. And one of the things that they tried to do in their writings is to try to make Belief in God seemed ridiculous. Try to make all religions seem absurd. But you, you got a pretty uphill battle if you're going to do that. As we've been seeing in Romans 1, you've got all of this evidence of God's handiwork. You've got all of creation. You've got all these things. And they would sort their way through and try to give all these explanations for here's how it's glorious instead of God making it. And they would work through this. But one of the things that all of history's famous atheists knew they had to address as well is the fact that this is a planet full of belief. Romans 1 has been showing us that mankind suppresses the truth of God and exchanges the true God for idols and such, but it is still reality. This is a planet full of people who believe in a creator. The number of atheists even today and throughout history is a dismal fraction of the whole population. So these atheists knew they had to, they had to address Where did belief in God come from? Where did this whole idea of religion in general come from? It's interesting that a lot of them said pretty similar things, but Freud probably said it the clearest. So here's here's kind of a paraphrase. He said, mankind fears the forces of nature that he can't control. He, He sees a tornado. He sees a hurricane. He can do nothing about it. And in his fear, as a coping mechanism, parenthesis, psychobabble, okay, as a coping mechanism, he sort of creates an imaginary God in his mind who controls these things to comfort himself. Man invented God to comfort him, to feel better. You know, what's interesting is I agree with Freud when it comes to every man-made religion. Like if you're going to invent a God, you invent a God that you want, a God that suits your desires. But Freud never understood Christianity. Freud never understood the gospel. 
In this passage before us and in dozens and dozens of others throughout scripture, we have a passage in truth that undoes his hypothesis. The God who reveals himself to us in the scripture is a God who is so holy, men and women shake and tremble in his presence. The God revealed to us in scripture, he's scarier than the hurricane. The God revealed to us in scripture is so righteous and so exacting that that one bite of fruit plunged mankind into the curse. He is a God so holy, the angels cover their eyes so as not to look on him. A holy God of justice. A God who in that towards sinful creatures has a wrath. That doesn't make me feel any better, Freud. That doesn't comfort me. If you're going to invent a God, you don't invent a holy God. If you're going to invent a God, you invent, you invent one like America's pseudo version of Jesus. An imaginary God who has no wrath. But the passage we've been studying has been showing us the wrath of God stemming from God's righteousness, his holiness, his hatred of sin. We have been seeing that there is a wrath to come and there is also a wrath that God has already begun to display to the world. So we're week two into this section and and, and Lord willing, we're going to finish it up today. But here's what we have seen thus far. So track, track the logic once again. Because of mankind's rejection of God, because of our vertical sin, because of the resisting of God and exchanging of God that we have done, God has begun to display his wrath. And the text shows us three ways that God has already begun to bring some judgment onto the earth. We saw the last one, uh, excuse me, the first one last week. God gave them over in their uncleanness to follow after the lust of their hearts. This passage has two more for us today. And the other two are God gave them over to degrading passions and then to a depraved mind. Part of the judgment is that you and I live in a world full of evils evils like the ones that live in our own hearts. So let's look consider these last two things that God has given mankind over to. So if you're following kind of in the the points here, here is the second one that we're looking at. God gave them over to degrading passions. Look at verses 26 and 27 with me again. So this, this one has this point right here. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading or demeaning passions or demeaning lust. And then here is the example he uses. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Now, what's he talking about there? You know, you know, but maybe a little bit of a help there. This phrase, that which is unnatural or that which is against nature, this is a phrase that's used a whole lot of times in ancient Greek literature. It's in Josephus, it's in Philo, it's in Plutarch's lives. This phrase, parafusin, against nature or that which is unnatural is used to refer to homosexuality. I mean, you know that if you're 
reading the text and being honest, but there's a little clarification. And then verse 27, in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Homosexuality or same-sex intimacy is a collection of acts and lust which are evil. Now, if you believe the Bible, you already knew that. I'm, I'm not really going to spend a lot of time trying to argue and debate and try to get you to believe that. Okay, like if you're here this morning and you're still not there, maybe still got some confusion in your mind, that sort of thing, okay, let's go have coffee. Um, before the coffee even cools to sip it, it'll be pretty clear, can show you really clear, click quickly from the Bible, this is something that God condemns. I know we're in the midst of like this big debate in culture right now. Jesus said that's gonna happen a lot. Jesus said it's going to happen a lot that the world is going to hate things about the Bible. This is one. Next week, it'll be something new, okay? Just wait. But for right now, so I'm not really going to spend a lot of time trying to get you to see that other than maybe just say this. Every so often, the world finds something else about the Bible it hates. And every time that they do, here's kind of what happens. There's always kind of a scramble amongst some within Christianity to try to hurry up and do something to the Bible that sort of makes it fit what the culture wants to believe so that they can kind of be like, hey, hey guys, I'm cool like you too. I believe what you do. See what I'm doing to the Bible here? Every time. Every time there's some this way to try to do some mental gymnastics to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. This happens over and over and over again. But every, every time that happens, what we need to say to the person twisting scripture is, look, not only are you being dishonest with scripture, you're betraying intelligence itself. You know it and I know it. James says friendship with the world is hostility to God. The world is always going to hate things about the Bible. At the end of the day, who you believe in, Hollywood celebrities or God, I'm taking God. But here's what the text is saying. We already know that these acts that are being referred to, they are acts of defiance, they are sin. But this is, the text goes further than that. And this is part of the main idea. Its presence is an act of judgment. The existence of homosexuality, like the existence of greed and like the existence of hatred and war and murder, the presence of these evils is not only evil, it is an act of judgment from God. God handed us over to the unintelligent, foolish lust of our hearts. And one of those evils one of the evils on the earth that shows the judgment of God. And it's meant to be one that gives a little bit of a shock factor. It gives a little bit of a, a yuck, a little bit of a shudder to show just how far mankind will fall or even run into depravity is same-sex intimacy. This world is in chaos. This world is in disorder. Living in that chaos and disorder is part of the judgment and the existence of this is part of the judgment. The text shows that homosexuality, like every other kind of sin, 
involves an exchange. The exchange of a good thing that God designed in for a corrupted version of the real thing. Now, um, follow with me a little bit. We we pointed this out last week. Now we're going to get into it a little bit more. The passage has three patterns of threes. Remember we saw that, okay? God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. There are two other patterns of three and, and track this with me. Verse 23 talks about an exchange. What did they exchange? They exchanged the true God for images. The glory of the one true living creator, humanity took that and said, I want something else instead. I want an image. Then in verse 25, humanity exchanged the truth about God for lies. Well, verse 26 says that homosexuality also involves an exchange. God created marriage. God created the beautiful covenant relationship that marriage is. And God created sexual intimacy. God created, God designed male and female bodies and minds and nerve endings and hearts that would enjoy sexual intimacy. God created the gift of sex. He imagined it in his mind every single way that there is pleasure and enjoyment and fulfillment that is involved in that. God designed it, God created it, and he created it to be in the context of the covenant relationship of marriage. And when God shows this, in scripture, it, it's, one of the, it's one of the gifts of God that is highlighted, that's shown. This is part of God's beautiful design. This is part of some of God's uh, grace that he gives. If you're a part of this church, you've heard some of these kinds of things before. But if you're new to studying the Bible, you will probably be surprised by some of the things that God says concerning these things. Sometimes read, sometime read Proverbs 5 and Song of Solomon. God speaks of this as beautiful. God speaks of this as good. But, but, but watch this. In the same way that verse 23 showed that at the core of our rebellion, there was an exchange, exchange of God for images. Verse 25, there was an exchange of the truths about God for lies. Verse 26 shows within homosexuality, within this this particular sin, there is another exchange. There's an exchange of the beautiful design of God in for a corrupted version of the real thing. Now, Now friends, every sexual sin has an exchange. Every single way that, that God's design, God's wisdom, God's order that he made is exchanged for something else. It's, it's tampered with, it's corrupted, it's twisted. There's always a corrupted inferior version of the real thing, regardless of what sexual sin you think of. You might think, okay, pornography is an exchange of the full, beautiful happy gift of a husband and a wife within marriage. And it's an exchange for a corrupted, dirty, inferior version of the real thing. You tracking with me? And every other sexual sin is involves an exchange, but particularly within same sex sin. There is not only the exchanging in that kind of way, but watch this. There is even the exchanging of the gender that God created for you in for one 
like yourself. Do you see that? And do you see that it's a pattern through the text? Verse 23, they exchanged glory of God for images. What's the very first image that's, that's referenced there? For an image of man. They exchanged God for one like myself. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for lies. What kinds of lies? The context is lies that go after the lust of my heart. The truth about God for self. And in verse 26, the exchange that is there is the exchange of God's design in for one like myself. So there is a pattern that is shown here. And so friends, this is going even deeper, okay? So, so just really slow down. Think about this one with me. I believe this is intentional in the text. If marriage is a metaphor, and it is, if marriage is a metaphor of God's relationship to his people, then homosexuality is a metaphor of man's rejection of God in exchange for self. And you also notice there, at the end of verse 27, that it speaks of receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, I'm going to try to keep this, you know, um, not going graphic or, or, or too mature here. I'm not afraid to talk about mature things, but there are lines. What Paul is referring to here are all of the ways that homosexuality brings consequences onto the people who are engaged in them. And if you notice in verse 27, particularly men, and we find this a reality in this world, I, we, we find ourselves in, in the midst of this big debate in our culture right now. And you've got the world who has chosen a stance in opposition of scripture. And so you've got this big agenda by culture always trying to promote this idea, always trying to make this be seen as beautiful. And so because of that, there are a lot of things not being talked about that really ought to be talked about in culture. In the big conversation that's happening, there are a lot of dangers, consequences, and realities involved with the same sex lifestyle that nobody wants to bring up, but it is a reality. No matter how much you try to close your eyes to it, it it's there. The number of sexually transmitted diseases that are a part of that lifestyle is, is insane. They're more than you could memorize. The suicide rate is many, many times higher than the rest of the population. There are cancers that men involved in this relationship are, are, are more prone to many, many more times likely to develop. Nobody wants to mention this stuff. Nobody wants to talk about it. Even amongst Christians, it's not real comfortable to talk about that, but this is a reality. And what the text is showing is this is a part of the judgment of God. God has allowed and even sent some of these consequences into the world as an act of judgment on these things. And if you're not sure you, you buy that yet, let me ask you this question. If the entire world starting today decided to begin obeying God in marriage and his commands of sex, within one generation, nearly every STD on the planet would be eradicated. 
God has allowed and sent some of these as an act of judgment, receiving in their own persons. There are also some things that to go further would be just too graphic for the time that we're going to talk about right now that are a part of these things. And the text is addressing it. Now, we understand that when it comes to this, not every, per, every person involved in the sin is affected. And yes, there are some who get affected by these kinds of things and they have not done the sin themselves. Some of these kinds of consequences get passed on to children. There are children who are born with some of these kinds of consequences from the sin of their parents. Listen to me, that's how the judgment works right now. It's not one-to-one. It's not the full dishing out of the wrath of God that is one day going to be. What we see right now is an impartial, imperfect judgment now, but the warning that it full is going to come in the future. And all of this is pointing to this, friends. We, we look at all of this, it points to this. The God who rules, he is holy and he is not happy with this planet and you don't understand God you don't understand this world if you carry on as though everything is fine and hunky-dory the God who rules the God who makes and the God you will stand before is not happy with this planet and you don't need a preacher to tell you that looking around at creation we can see these things the wrath of God has begun to be displayed while we're here, let me say a couple more things on this subject as, as well. The church has had need for a greater clarity, you know, in regard to all of sexuality, but, but I think particularly in this topic right here, if you're, if you're hearing this and you don't yet agree, you don't yet agree with the Bible's take on this, I, I just want to push on you a little bit. I mean, you need to think about who you are believing. You're being pressured by the world. You're being pressured by those who tell you what you're supposed to believe. Do you really think that overpaid, self-indulgent celebrities are the place you're gonna get answers about the law of God? More than God. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I don't know what else to say. That's stupid, okay? If you think you're gonna get answers about the law of God from people over God, that's not intelligent. You go to God to get the law of God. You've got to come to a conclusion here at the end of the day, who do you trust? Because that is what is going on here. God is communicating and the world is communicating. Don't buy that. But we also need to understand that it doesn't make you a Christian just to believe the Bible here. You're not a Christian just because you agree with some points of morality. The way to be made right with God, and you need that. You are not right with God apart from Christ. You have sinned against this holy God. This holy God really is going to send a wrath. And if you do not have your sins cleansed, if you do not have your soul made right with the living God, you really are going to experience the fullness of this wrath of God. And he's made a way for you to be at peace with him. He's made a way for you to be cleansed. And that way is through his son. The death that Christ died, 
The resurrection has made a way for you to be made right with God. And scripture shows that the way, the how of how you get this gift is you turn from rebelling. You come bow to him with a heart of submission and trust. It is trust in Christ that will save you. Not just believing the Bible on certain points that maybe even politically you agree with. But if you agree with God here, we still have some need for clarity. Because let me be honest, friends, one of the ways that Christians have gotten things wrong on this subject right here is maybe in seeing that it is sin, but then having a judgmental kind of hatred and zero compassion for those living in the sin or struggling with those kinds of desires. And so we just, we just need to make this clear Christianity wide. It's not being on the side of God. Okay, you're not on Jesus's side to use derogatory words to refer to those living in the lifestyle. You're not on the, you're not on the side of Jesus if you develop a contempt and a hatred in your heart towards people living in the lifestyle or struggling with these desires, that's not being on God's side. That's, listen, the KKK can do that. That's not Jesus. God calls us to a compassion. God calls us to be a people who are constantly helping sinners like ourselves, struggling with every kind of sin on to peace with God through Christ, regardless of the sin that is going on. And and the church has also needed some clarity when it comes to just our understanding of how some of this works. When it began to be introduced by the world, this idea that people are born with sexual orientation Sometimes there was the temptation for the church to just respond by saying, well, nah, and there's a partial answer there, but that's not the full answer. There, there's more to it than that. Listen to me, friends, this world is in chaos. It's in disorder. Everything is. Nature is in chaos. Storms and earthquakes are showing you it's not perfect. It's not in order like it's supposed to be. Your bodies are in chaos. Our minds, our hearts, our predispositions, our hormones, our affections, our bodily chemical makeups are in disorder and not in perfection. Our testosterone, our estrogen, our serotonin levels, they're in disorder. They're not in perfection. And it is a reality. We're all born with certain tendencies, but this is where the world goes to a place that the Bible does not let us go. God shows it's not okay. You may be born with a tendency, but that doesn't give you license to indulge. A young boy may be born with a violent temper. He may have had it from the time he was a a toddler. That doesn't give him license to murder without consequence. Doesn't give him license by God or society or anyone else. And so friends, we do need to realize there are some who are born with some attractions and desires that are in chaos, that are in disorder. There are some who are born with tendencies towards this kind of sin, just like you and I have tendencies maybe towards some other kind of sin, but that doesn't give license to follow it out. And it also doesn't give license to us Christians to look on others with hate and contempt just because they don't have my sin. 
We're called to, we're called to love, show compassion, see these things with clarity. But part of what the point of this text is showing is the existence of this chaos, the existence of these acts are evidence of the wrath of God being displayed. It's here as an act of judgment. And it pictures and has a metaphor within it of the exchange of God for self. Here's the third one. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Look at verse 28 with me. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, after we've looked at all that we have, hopefully now when we come to this one, this, the understanding of it is pretty simple. doesn't need a whole lot of explanation like the others. Apply what we've seen thus far to these 21 21 different examples of unrighteous acts. As you read through that list, some of the things that you read there will give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a shock, a little bit of a yuck. You'll see it as bad. There are others in that list. We don't have a tendency to see them as that bad. Strife, you see that every day for some people. It's just normal, it's just part of living. Um, you look at greed. Listen. Greed is almost considered a virtue in our culture. Slandering every time people gossip. These are going on. So, so here's what I want you to understand. Every one of these are evil regardless of how you feel about it. Every one of them are repulsive to God regardless of whether it repulses you. There is a yuck that God has and the acting on these things is evidence of the fact of a depraved mind. So let me make just... Four quick observations about this section. Let me draw a few things out, kind of finishing this passage up. Number one, consider what is meant by a depraved mind. Um, our minds, our thinking, our feeling, the internal workings, our reasoning has been corrupted in a way that we do not see dangers that we ought to. We do not think according to beautiful logic and we run into darkness. And part of what that means is that we will do not only what is evil, we will do what is foolish. We will do what is harmful. We will do what is stupid. And while we're doing it, we may even tell ourselves how smart we are. Might even point out and reason to others about why we're doing what we're doing is so wise. Let me see if I can give an example here. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this, this kind of talk before. Have you ever heard someone say, hey, you know, before you marry somebody, you got to live with them first. I mean, how, how are you going to know if you're compatible or not? I mean, I mean, you don't buy a car without test driving it first. You ever heard that kind of thing? Okay, think about what's happening. What's happening in that moment is somebody is trying to use wisdom but it is not a wisdom from God. It is not a wisdom from above. It is a wisdom. It is the reasoning and thinking of a mind that has been darkened. And so let's say that you follow that out. You follow that wisdom out. What will happen? At the end of the day, you have angered the God of heaven. You have stored up more wrath for yourself and here's what that means. On the day of judgment, you have brought harm to yourself by this. 
So you thought you were smart, but is it wise? Friends, how many times in the scripture does it tell us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? I'll tell you how many times. It's three. A couple times in Proverbs, once in the book of Psalms. Have you ever thought about what it means? Let me see if this will help. Your adversary, the devil, the fallen angel who opposes you, do you think he is intelligent? The Bible shows that he is. He is skilled in thinking. He's skilled in philosophy. He's skilled in tactics. Listen to me, he has more of the Bible memorized than you do. He knows the Bible by heart. He's smart, but is he wise? Every time he applies his reasoning and mental capacities to what he's doing to oppose God. He is storing up more and more wrath on himself. He is bringing more harm and more misery on himself every time he uses that skilled brain. He's smart, but is he wise? Friends, that's a depraved mind. A depraved mind might have a skilled brain but it does everything that it does, bringing destruction. Look back at verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Let me give one more example and it kind of ties into all of this. Did you know that there is a movement in our culture right now that is defending pedophiles? It's true. There was even a recent TEDx talk. This is gaining big platforms, defending pedophilia. And the argument goes like this. If you accept that if you're born a certain way, that gives you license to be able to live it, okay? So like we've just talked about, some are born with tendencies towards same-sex desires, and the world says, therefore, that gives them license, and it is good, and it is right to them to follow it. The argument, just carry it out a little further. The argument goes, there are some who are born with desires, sexual desires towards children. And this movement is actually arguing, advocating, trying to bring political reform to lifting restrictions against child pornography and trying to give outlet to these so that they have a way to indulge their desires. Listen to me. When these people talk, they sound so intelligent. They're quoting studies, quoting statistics. They have PhDs. They're using skilled brains, but to run towards the darkness. That's a depraved mind. While they profess to be wise, they're living as fools. That's a really extreme example. But here's part of what scripture shows. You and I have also succumbed to (coughs) depraved minds that we have a thinking that is in disorder. It's not perfect. That's why we need the word of God to inform us. That's why we need the work of God's spirit and sanctification to bring transformation, to bring clarity to how we think because we live with depraved minds. But for us Christians, depraved minds that are being reformed, being renewed and made clean. Well, here's the second observation. Verse 32 says, um, Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This text has shown a lot of truths about God that our hearts instinctively know. Here's another. 
Your heart, my heart, everyone else's heart, even if you didn't have the Bible. We know that sin defiles us. The God who rules is going to judge and I deserve the death penalty. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I ever read that, you know, years ago and, and kind of considered, I thought to myself, well, mm, I'm not sure I see that everybody knows that. But after some time, consider this. Even unbelievers throughout history have come to that conclusion. Apart from the Bible, have come to the conclusion that humanity deserves the death penalty. Shakespeare makes that point in Macbeth, not a Christian. Unbelievers have come to this conclusion here. But I think that when we sit down and really think it out, we could come to this from different avenues. It is a principle we understand from the world. Treason deserves death. It is a principle we understand. The God who rules is not happy. He is judging. Why is he unhappy? Why is he judging? We know. And every time I commit sins in particular, if I'm honest with myself, I feel it. I have guilt. I have a defilement on myself. I deserve the judgment of God. And if you were to follow that out, even without a Bible, there is the comprehension, I need cleansed from what defiles me, from my sin. Friend, that's why hundreds of religions from history, even those who suppressed the truth and exchanged the truth about God, ended up making blood sacrifices part of their religion. Why? The comprehension, life for life is needed. Even without a Bible, you can know we need a savior. We know that we deserve the death penalty. Third observation. We learn from this section that there's a difference between sin and sins. There's a difference between the core of sin and then the individual acts that are symptoms of the root problem. You might think of it like this. If you get a fever, that fever is a symptom of something else that's going on. You have a root problem there. Might be the flu, uh, might be a sinus infection, might be something really serious like some kind of internal infection. But you can treat the symptom, but if you do not treat the root, then you are in trouble. If you have an internal infection going on, something really uh, wrong inside, you are in trouble if you don't address the root. Well, here is what we are shown here. The root of sin, singular, the sin nature, the core of sin is what verses 18 to 23 showed us. It is the rejection of God. It is resisting God. It is trading God. It is the vertical that is there. Everything else that comes out of our lives all of the individual things, I've got my own that plague me, you have your own that plague you, all of the individual examples, those are symptoms of the greater problem. And then here's number four, the last one. The gospel addresses the root problem and then the symptoms slowly heal. Friends, your greatest need, this is where a lot of times people get religion wrong, your greatest need is not to come to your life and just to try to stop your greed or your hatred or your lust, these kinds of outward symptoms. Now, Christian, we got to address them. 
but that's not your greatest need. And it's not your first need. Our first and greatest need is we need the core changed. We need the slavery to sin broken. We need the sin nature undone. We need a fix that is there. And friends, that is what the gospel does. The gospel comes and first cleanses us, forgives us. And when Jesus talked about the new birth, the new birth is a change at the core. It's a turn of direction to a new way. Think about the very heart of what it is to be converted. The very heart of what it means to be converted is I go from one who is like, verses 18 to 23, I resist God. Repentance is... Repentance at the core is coming to God with a heart and with an attitude that says, I'm bowing to you, God. I'm yours. I want you. I don't want to war against you anymore. I know I've got these sins. I'm going to fight them. I'm going to battle them. But I submit to you. That's what it means to turn to Christ. And then God works this miracle of the new birth. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The core is turned. And then here's part of the point. After this, the symptoms slowly begin to weaken. The greed, the anger, the lust, the the poisonous words that come out of your mouth. Change the core. And then go to war on the symptoms. And God brings the slow healing of the symptoms. And that will take till you die. And then you will be completely made new. But don't miss this. The true Christian is one who is slowly killing the symptoms. Do not tell yourself I'm a Christian and not strive unto holiness. The Bible says that is not a true Christian. That's the fooled man. That's the deluded mind. That's the almost Christian. The one who convinces themselves I'm okay, but not growing in holiness. The true Christian is turned at the core and then slowly the life begins to look more and more like Christ. But the gospel first addresses The root problem. The Lord's Supper is when we remember how it is that God addressed the root problem. When we have this time here, it's a way that the people of God have a a solemn time of celebration, of giving thanks and remembering how it is that Christ accomplished this. How did God bring this? He brought it through the broken body, the shed blood, the resurrection of his son. So we're getting ready to take here in just a second. Let me give, as we usually do, just a couple words, a couple instructions before we take together. When we take the Lord's Supper, the Bible does call us to a solemnity and a seriousness. Um, There is the picture here of us gathering around a table together in the presence of God, sharing a, a meal in the presence of God. It pictures, it symbolizes that kind of thing. But don't let that familiarity delude you into not being serious because scripture gives warnings. Scripture says, for instance, if you have not turned to Christ and obeyed him in baptism, the Bible says don't partake. That's not God trying to be mean. That's not our church's rule, but this is a warning that God's gives. This is for God's people 
who have come to him. You don't have to be a member of this church to partake of the Lord's Supper. We invite you to do that if you are truly following after Christ and you've been biblically baptized. We invite you to join with us in this, but even for the Christian, we're called to examine our hearts. We're called to confess sin. It's one of the reasons why about a week before, we usually try to give a reminder to the church family so that we'll spend the week kind of thinking and confessing sins before God. If you haven't done that this week, we're gonna give just a little bit of time here before we partake, one last kind of moment to ask God to forgive, to cleanse, to restore our relationship. You don't need to be saved all over again, but we do need that reconciliation of relationship with God that comes by confessing sin. And the Bible says, if you will not, even if you are truly a Christian, don't partake. Let it pass. But we invite you. Make your sins made known to God. Acknowledge your sins. Examine your heart. Draw near to God. And then we'll take this together in just a moment. Let me ask you to bow. And then in just, a, just about a minute, I'll, I'll pray for you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, God Gave Them Over, Part 2. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.